If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. And the title that's been assigned to me is Stewardship Over Devotions. Stewardship Over Devotions. Mark chapter 1. As you know, we've been going through a series um, that our pastor's been uh, walking through with us over stewardship, how to stewardship different areas in our lives. And I've been assigned and happy to say I have stewardship over devotions. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Every fact in our Lord's life and every word that fell from his lips ought to be deeply interesting to the Christian. Everything that he said and done, and I pray that's the case for us tonight because we have much to learn from him regarding our devotionals. B.B. Warfield, you may have heard of his name. He's gone down in history as one of America's great theologians, and for good reason. You need to read some of his work if you haven't already. And yet, while he was known for his intellect and his profound theological insights, he was also a man of tender affection. Soon after his marriage to Annie, and he would call her Sweet Annie, the young couple journeyed to Europe together. And during that trip, Sweet Annie underwent a terrifying experience that resulted in kind of a nervous trauma that she was never able to overcome. And she returned home where her condition continued to deteriorate for the rest of her life. She just got worse and worse. And Warfield responded to those tragic events by diligently committing himself to her care. He was devoted to his wife. He was devoted to sweet Annie. And for the duration of their marriage, he rarely left her side for more than a couple of hours at a time, never longer than necessary. Her friend recalls this when he saw them together. He said this, I used to see them walking around and the gentleness of his manner was striking proof of the loving care with which he surrounded her. During the years he spent at Princeton, and he spent a lot of years there, he rarely, rarely, if ever, was absent for any length of the time. So not only was Warfield a great theologian and just a master of of the word and theology, but he was also a great husband. He was devoted to his wife. Christians often speak of devotion, do we not? We use that word devotion a lot. We speak of devoting ourselves to God and more commonly of doing our daily devotions. This word is familiar to, familiar to all of us. But I wonder how often we consider what it means and, and what it entails. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, uh, especially since the Puritan Conference and 
talking to some guys yesterday, and I think devotion is an expression of love and loyalty rooted in both duty, duty and delight. That's what devotion is. B.B. Warfield owed his wife certain duties by virtue of being her husband, and his devotion flowed out of his duty. God expected no less of him because his devotion was an expression of obedience to the vows he made to sweet Annie. Yet his devotion was also an expression of delight. He delighted being sweet Annie's husband. He delighted her. He loved his wife and he found joy in her. And it was out of that delight that he was devoted to her. That was P.B. Warfield, and that was what every Christian marriage should be. And I think it would be unfair to disconnect his long devotion to his wife from either duty and delight. And in the same way, the Christian's devotion to God is both duty and delight. It's a duty and a delight. It's an expression of the love we have for God and the loyalty we long to express to Him. It's the overflow of of joy and and gladness that we have in Him and our commitment toward Him. Our devotion to God leads to certain habits. It leads to certain disciplines. And we devote ourselves to God by devoting ourselves to practices that inform and enhance our relationship with Him. We devote ourselves so that we can know Him. And among these practices is the one we know as Personal devotions or quiet time or the morning watch or Bible study, your personal Bible study. There's so many synonyms and same phrases, and you may call it something else. And there's one man, David Mathis, he's uh, the editor of uh, Desiring God, runs Desiring God, John Piper's ministry. He wrote a book called Habits of Grace. Highly encourage it. He said this, Our God is lavish in His grace. He he is free to liberally dispense His goodness without even the least least bit of cooperation and preparation on our part. And He often does. But He also has His regular channels. And we can routinely avail ourselves of those revealed paths of blessing or neglect them to our loss. One of the key habits every Christian ought to have is the habit of personal devotions. That's one of the key habits that all of us must have. This is certainly not only the, not the only means through which God blesses us with His grace and certainly not the only meaningful habit, but yet it is a crucial one that benefits all who pursue it. It benefits every one of us who pursues this. And if we are to live for God we must live with God. And if we are to honor Him, we must know Him. And if we know Him through this habit of devotion, that's how we know Him. As you know, you probably can hear the accent, uh, I grew up in the Bible Belt. Uh, I grew up in the Deep South. And almost everyone I know, I, I kid you not, everyone that I know claims to be a Christian, no matter how they live. But majority of them are deceivers. They're, they're hypocrites who put on a show. They, they want to maintain the outward appearance of faithful followers of God when they're in the public, 
but remain unchanged in private. As has been said, they are saints in the church, but they're atheists at home. But true Christians, people who have been changed by Jesus, they are the same all the time. Amen? They are devoted to God. We have a deep love and loyalty to God, and we express and foster this by what we refer to as personal devotions. And this discipline of personal devotions is one of the key means through which we come to understand God and to know God. We will want to spend time with Him. Do you want to spend time with God? Do you want to spend time with God? If Jesus has changed your life, like we talked about last week with Zacchaeus, you want to spend time with God. This is our delightful duty. So let me ask you, how is your devotional life? How is your time with God? How is your quiet time? How is your personal devotions? How is your... How are your daily devotions going? Whatever you want to call it. How is your daily time with God through His Word and in prayer? How are you doing? The single most critical thing that you and I should consume on a daily basis consists of a focused time with God in His Word and in prayer. That's the most crucial thing that you can do every day. We teach this to our kids, right? Right? If you're involved in Sunday school, or you may have heard this, read your Bible and pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Read your Bible. You know it. Come on, really. Read your Bible and pray every day. And what? Grow, grow, grow. And neglect your Bible and what? You shrink, shrink, shrink. We sing this daily in my house. This is so common. We teach this to our kids. It's so crucial that you spend time with God because time spent with God is time well spent. That's why it's important. That's why it matters. And we've been going over stewardship. That's our theme this semester. And last week we paused and we, we spoke on how Jesus changes lives. And, and if you know him, he has changed your life. Nobody who comes to Jesus leaves walking away the same. If you truly know Jesus, you have been changed. And if your life has been changed by Jesus, you will want to commune with him more. You want to spend more time with him. And that's the true desire of someone who has been changed by Jesus. Stewardship is understanding that your time, your energy, your your resources, absolutely everything belongs to God. And that includes your devotional life. And our text shows us that Jesus, God in flesh, spent time with God the Father. And it shows us our great need for the same. If Jesus found it necessary, if he found it a 
priority, if he found it extremely important to meet privately with his father, surely his example is sufficient for us to imitate his pattern. So what do we see from this one verse, a verse that you could easily miss? What do we see from Jesus' example? If you're taking notes, first we see the time. The time. Let me tell you, you need a certain time. You need a time. The text says, in the early morning while it was still dark. Those words are important, extremely important. This is the first thing that Jesus did early in the morning. It was the most important thing he did because everything else he would do later that day would be determined by this. He had to go spend time with his father. As we see earlier in this passage in verse 29, uh, Jesus had been ministering to people at Simon's house until very late the night before. It says in verse 29, uh, Mark 1, immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her, and he raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. In verse 32, don't miss this. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. Verse 33, and the whole city had gathered at the door, and he had healed many who were ill with various diseases and casted out demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Think about this scene. People were crowding in. The sun is set. It's dark. The whole town has come. They're, they're bringing people to Jesus. Everyone was there. And everyone assumed that he would continue the successful ministry after a long night. This is a long night. It's probably up most of the night. It could have been all night. And everyone thought or assumed that he, he would still be there in the morning. But our text, verse 35, it says something different. It says in the early morning, it was still dark. He got up. He left. Went away to a secluded place, and he was praying. And Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And as after his disciples found him, Jesus said in verse 38, He said, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Jesus did not do what everybody thought he would. They were hoping he would stay the next day and continue in doing ministry. But after he spent time with his father in in prayer, he got the specific direction that they were to move on instead. This is one of the reasons why we need to spend time with God first thing in the day, because our time with God will change everything else we do that day. You must spend time with God. People will say, you may say, well, I spend time with God before I go to bed. I'm here to tell you that's good. That's awesome. You should spend time with God. You can and you should spend time with God through all the day. Truly important. Psalm 119 says, I will praise you seven times a day. 1 Thessalonians 5 says we are to pray without ceasing. We are to always pray and spend time with God throughout the whole day. But make sure, my point is this, make sure that whatever else you do, you spend time with God the first thing in the morning because it will impact the rest of your day. Spend time with God. Turn to Ephesians 6 real quick. I want you to see this. Ephesians 6. And I, I love this passage. As you know, our pastor on Sunday mornings is going through Ephesians. And he's about to be uh, in this section soon. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Uh, Paul says that we're in a spiritual battle. 
spiritual battle every day. Verse 6, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done nothing to stand firm. So we are to put on the spiritual armor of God, right? So the text says, so when do you put the, your armor on? When do you put it on? Before you go into battle or after? When? Talk to me. Before, right? Before. Thanks, Stephen. Before. You put your armor before you go into battle. So we need to spend time with God before we go into the battles of the day. You're going into a war. You're going to a battle. And before you put that armor on, you need to spend time with God. We need to put our armor, we need to put our armor on for the day. And before that, we need to spend time with God. One preacher used to say this. He said, if you wake up in the morning and don't meet the devil face on, it just means you're headed in the same direction. You need to wake up and spend your morning with God. It is vital that we begin the day like Jesus did, with our time, with time with our Heavenly Father first. This is consistent with the Bible. Uh, Abraham in Genesis 19. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and he went to the place where he stood before the Lord. Job, it came about, the days of feasting had completed their cycle. Job was sinned and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number for all. Thus, Job did what? Continually, continually. He kept doing this. Jacob in Genesis 28. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his bed. He arose up early in the morning. Moses in Exodus. Moses rose up early in the morning. He went up to Mount Sinai. And as the Lord commanded him, he took two stone tablets in his hand. Hannah and her husband in 1 Samuel 1, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. David said in Psalm 5, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you. It was David's commitment that God would hear his voice every morning. It was his commitment. And that needs to be our commitment too that God will hear from us. Is that your commitment? Give God the first place in your life every day by giving him the very first part of your day. And for most of us, that means we need to set a time to get up, right? We set times, we set calendar appointments, reminders, there's so many things that we do. You may have a, okay. a personal calendar that you use, a pen and paper, Whatever it is, we, we, we set all kinds of appointments to meet our agenda, our calendar, our appointments. And if you're going to meet with God, you need to set a time for it. You need to set your alarm to do whatever you need to do to keep that time with Him. That time is blocked off for Him and only Him. It doesn't orchestra begin without first tuning up. Does a runner run without first stretching? Does a pilot fly without first going through all the checks? Answer is nothing. 
Another pastor once said, you either begin the day asking for guidance or end the day asking for forgiveness. So how do you spend your time? Is God a part of your time? Who or what is priority when you wake up? There's literally nothing more important you can do today and every day than spend meaningful time with your heavenly Father. So what do we see from Jesus' example? We see the time. Second, if you take notes, we see the place. The place. You need an appropriate place. Mark 135, going back to Mark. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went away to a what? Secluded place. And Jesus, Jesus knew if he was going to spend time with God, that he needed to be away, that he had to be alone, away from all the people, uh, away from all the distractions. Uh, the place for his time with God was important. He needed to be alone. And it's easy, easy to see how important the place you have your time with God is, right? We're distracted by so many things. It needs to be a quiet place where, where there's no cell phone or iPad or TV. There's, there's no distractions. It needs to be away from other people who, who might interrupt you or, or bother you. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father. You need a place. You need a place. For some people, that place could be a chair in your office or your living room or, or a desk or your kitchen table or, or somewhere else. Some, some people I know make a little prayer bench or something like that. It, it doesn't really matter where. It's not the point. Jesus went out to a secluded place. You need a place. I often, just personally, uh, I think prayer walking is a phenomenal idea. I prayer walk a lot. Especially during my prayer time, I, I do that frequently. It has the had a benefit of keeping you awake. Uh, you don't fall asleep walking. I hope not. Um, but if you have to get up early, like we talked about, go on prayer walk, walk, pray. Uh, walking out by yourself can be a great way to pray. Uh, personally, how I begin my mornings to be practical. I, I used to begin by reading a proverb. Uh, I read a proverb according to the calendar day. So today is the 21st. So what did I read? Proverbs 21. That's right. Thanks to me. And sometimes, Stephen's just calling. I like it. No, nah, I'm a fan. I, I usually read a proverb, and, or I usually listen to hymns. I was trying to, to wake up. You know, I used to eat me a little smoke meal. Um, I'm just telling you what I do. I gotta wake up. I can't just sit down and start reading. Uh, it's not profitable for me. Or sometimes I use the audio book, uh, Bible. I try to get some words, write some hymns, in, in, intake, intake. And I go out and I just pray. I go for a walk. I usually walk a mile. I just pray. Spend that time in prayer. And then I come back and I finish my Bible reading. It just gets me going. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. The, the, the most important thing is have a quiet place. Uh, away from electronics, uh, away from people, and as many distractions as possible. Uh, in verse 36, 37, it says that Simon and the other disciples went out and they found Jesus. They were looking for him. They wouldn't leave him alone. They just kept trying to find him. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? 
they, they're pestering him. They're wondering where he's at. And it reminds me of Hayden, not Hayden pestering me, let me clarify. But I have two girls, a four and two year old. And when Hayden, her secluded place is, you know, it's just hard for her. It's hard. She has two little girls who will go knock on the door, hang in the bedroom, do devotions, or knock on the door, Mama, Mama, I need some gummies, I'm gonna watch Bluey, I, I need this, I need that. It's, it's, it's hard. It reminds me of Susanna Weston, the mother of John and Charles Weston, who had 10 children, 10. And she would just cover her head with an apron. And the kids knew that's when Mama was just talking to God. They were not to bother her. Not to mess her mama at that point. And the point is this. I share that because there are times when it's hard. It's hard. Life's hard. And you just got to do the best you can. There are certain moments, certain times, certain seasons in life where it's hard. You've got to do the best you can. But as much as it is within your power, and for most of us, it is within our power, set a time to meet with God in a quiet place each day so that you can start your day by worshiping Him and getting His power and direction for the rest of your day. You can do that. So what do we see from Jesus' example? First, we see the time, see the place. Third, taking notes, we see the plan, the plan. You need a plan for Bible reading and prayer. You can't just wake up, open your Bible and start reading. You can, it's not profitable. You need some, you need some kind of idea. So when you meet with God, the first day of the morning in a quiet place, what are you going to do with that time with him? What are you going to do? Let's see what Jesus does. In the early morning, Mark 135, it's still dark. He got up, left the house, went to a secluded place, and was what? Praying. He was praying. He was just simply praying. Praise how we talk to God, right? We certainly want to pray. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, a praying master like Jesus can have no prayerless servants. The spirit of adoption will always make a man call upon God. To be prayerless is to be Christless, godless, and on the high road to destruction. We are called to pray. So the question is, do you pray? Do you pray? Do you communicate with your heavenly Father who saved you? There's a lot to learn about how to pray. And because of time, I, I, I just want you some things for you, for you to use or for you to go to that have helped me personally. Uh, one example in the Bible, probably the best example, is that Jesus, Jesus models prayer in Matthew 6. Uh, they call it the Lord's Prayer. It's a great model. It's not a Something that we repeat is the model of how to pray. Uh, you need to study that. Get the MacArthur commentary. Go buy it. You, you need to understand how Jesus models that prayer. Some other examples that I found helpful is uh, a book called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Uh, the Psalms, a primer for prayer by William Barrett. Valley of Vision. You, you gotta, if you don't own Valley of Vision, you need to go Sunday and buy a copy. Okay, the Valley of Vision is phenomenal. It's about Puritans. You also have uh, At the Throne of Praise by J. Mac. Um, 
think they changed the title recently. It might be different. A uh, year of prayer or something. It's really good. Uh, this is Pastor John's uh, it's prayers from the pulpit that they recorded and put down. It's really good. Highly encouraging. Uh, Gleanings from Paul. Really good resource. A.W. Pink. And also, do you pray? If you want to get convicted about your prayer life, read do you pray. It's like eight pages long. It is the most convicting thing I've ever read. I'm going to be honest. You need to read it. It's free. You'll learn that. Just Google it. Um, there's sources I encourage you to look at. Learn how to pray. Read prayers for church history. You must pray. It also may be helpful to have a prayer journal or something of that nature. Um, my wife Haley, she has this one on the screen, the PowerPoint. I asked her, and she says it helps her organize her prayers, keeps her on track as her mind can wander. Helps me remember to pray for people outside the obvious, like family, leaders in our country, or, or leaders in our church, different ministries. There's also a specific section just for those you, know, you need to be saved, and, and an answer prayer section for reflection. There's all kinds of sources for you to have a prayer journal. You can just have a, a little notebook, you know, you know a notebook at the Target. I hate that sell I buy them all the time. I hate to use the prayer journal. It's from Valerie Paper. It's a website. Uh, they also make means. I've never seen it. Um, but there's all kinds of tools for you. That maybe you need something like this. Maybe you don't. I, I don't know. But regardless, it's you need to pray. And you have a plan of prayer of who you're praying to and who you're praying for, what you're praying for. So important. It needs to go through your mind. You're coming to talk to the God of heaven and earth. You need to think about what you're going to pray for. You, you need to pray. You should worship God in prayer and give thanks to him for his blessings to you. You should confess your sins to God. That's for his forgiveness to the blood of Jesus. You should bring your knees to him, seek his wisdom, submit to his will. You should pray for others, families and friends, church family, the lost, the sick, and grieving. You should just pray to your heavenly Father, this heavenly Father that saved you from hell. He saved you from hell. And you are called to pray to him. Do you pray? The Bible knows nothing of a Christian who does not or will not pray. Knows nothing of a sort. Christians pray. You cannot run the race well without telling him how you are running. Admitting to him when you have stumbled and asking for strength to keep going. Can't. So that's the prayer. But also you need to have a plan when it comes to Bible reading. Bible reading. It's hard to just open up the Bible and to start reading. You need to have a plan. You have a plan. You need to have the right tools, first of all. And these, these are going to include first a readable Bible. You need a readable Bible. You need a readable Bible. It's so easy, but it's, it's true. A readable Bible, in my opinion, don't get a small print Bible. Get something that you can see. Okay? Invest into a Bible. Invest into a Bible. Invest. You don't have to do a bankrupt. There's good Bibles out there that's not crazy expensive. Invest into a good Bible. Uh, you go to the bookstore and ask, what's a good Bible? They'll help you. 
I have also, I have all kinds of Bibles. I, I have a seminary Bible. My four and a half years of school, I used one Bible. And I've marked all over it. It's not only, it's almost all apart. It's on my night shelf. It's usually why I read on my night shelf now. Or my nightstand, my night shelf. Nightstand. Uh, I, I just transitioned. Uh, what I used for personal devotion, I used the MacArthur Study Bible. I marked that thing up. I have that at home. It sits in the same spot. I know where it's at. I'm marking it up. If I have a question or if I want to know something more, I just look down at the notes. Uh, my wife's really she using the Press Study Bible. We also have an ESV Bible close by. The ESV Bible is really good. Uh, highly recommend that. Um, <laughs> regardless, you just need a Bible. I have a teaching, a preaching Bible. I teach a preacher. I have this one. It's given to me. Uh, so, I, so I have two that I currently go through. It's a devotional one and my teaching and preaching for different purposes. And the point is, you just need a Bible. Get a good Bible, a readable Bible. The Bible is your best friend. Use it. Use it. As somebody said, the person that has a Bible falling apart probably has a life that's not. Do you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible, Christian? So you have all these tools. You have study Bibles. There's all kinds of Bibles out there. I also recommend that you have a notepad that so you can write stuff down, stuff that you're learning. You know, whatever you may need, it's okay. Write in your Bible, write in your notepad, whatever it takes for you to just remember the intake. Write it all down. Whatever, whatever you need to help you. So you have these tools. Now what? I look at Bible reading in two ways. Familiarity and intimacy. That's how I look at it. Uh, familiarity, familiar, I love to grow in the Bible. I just want to know it. I just want to know the whole Bible. This is where I try to go through the Bible in here. Uh, I try to just intake it. I just want to just soak it in. Try to get it in my mind, get it in my heart, get it in my soul. Uh, this year I'm going through a chronological reading plan. I usually pick a reading plan. It's easier for me because I can just... It helps me keep track of what I'm going through. Um, also appreciate the plan, the Robert Murray and Shane uh, plan, where the approach is reading the Old Testament once per year and the New Testament Psalms twice. That's a good plan. And there's a million kinds of Bible reading plans. Uh, Ligonier usually has all of them summed up on one page. You sort of Ligonier, uh, Ligonier Bible reading plans. Find a Bible reading plan. Uh, it's helpful. Uh, this method of Bible reading is breaking from the fire hose of Scripture. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because there are few better ways to understand the overarching story of the Bible, to see the whole Bible, see the connections of the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, between shadow and reality. And that's the whole point of reading the Bible in this matter, to just get Bible intake. You need to be familiar with the Bible. The whole Bible. Start reading. So I also love to grow Bible intimacy. I do three things when it comes to intimacy, Bible intimacy. The first thing I do is, I said earlier, I read a proverb a day. I think the proverbs are gold. I love the proverbs. I need them. I go to the according to the, uh, the calendar date. And the second thing that I do for Bible intimacy is where I really study a passage of scripture. I'm just focusing in on a scripture. Uh, so like last year, or a book. So last year I did the book of Ecclesiastes. 
I was in there half the year, six months. Just going to town, Ecclesiastes. Love the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I usually have a help, a commentary I pick or something. I'm just really diving into it. I really want to get to know it. This year, I'm in the Gospel of Mark. I love it. I should do a section at a time. Soon a section at a time. I, just, I really want to get down to the weeds of it and to, the, to really see the nuts and bolts of a book or a passage. I've done certain Psalms, like Psalm 119. Really great study. Just want to get intimate with the Bible. And you can do whatever you want, it's up to you. And the third thing I do is meditation. Meditation. You need to be meditating on the Bible. I call this the silver fox method because I've got this from Harry Walls. I made it my own thing. Harry Walls gave a lecture in seminary, I don't know, three years ago. I was honestly I was struggling with meditation. I was doing a lot of Bible meditating. I was reading, studying passages, but I was just having a hard time meditating some things, meditating on scripture. And he gave a lecture on meditation. It's like the Lord just took that right for me. And, and the thing that I do is I meditate on a verse. And I'll just show you it's a prayer card. I ran out of index cards this week. But I write the verse on one side, I'm circling key words, and there's this Bible app called uh, Literal, Literal Word, I think it's blue. And you click on the words, and it tells you a definition, lexicon. I was trying to just get into the weeds of this one verse, circling things, highlighting things. Uh, on the back, I put like application stuff, stuff I need to do, you know, uh, on the back. Uh, and I usually, I just keep this on me. It's always in my pocket or it's on my desk. I'm sitting there working on my desk, I'm sitting there, I'm stopping, I'm just looking, I'm just going over and over. Uh, I usually, personally, I usually, it's like four, three to four days, five days, and I, I was out keeping it, there's no way. Um, that I'm just trying to just meditate on the Word. I'm trying to meditate on Scripture. I need it throughout the day. I need to be meditating. How they encourage you to, to talk to Harry Walls. He's got this little different thick he is, and I made it all. But it's really changed my life. And he said, hungry people eat. Hungry people eat. And he said, what are you hungry for? The Bible or for the junk of the swamp? And this meditation, I think meditation treats the Bible like a cough drop soothing a sore throat. It's something to be slowly savored and not quickly crunched up. And it's to be savored. You're meditating. You know, there's, there are a few better ways to fully understand and precisely apply the Bible and to look deep into his words, to, to ponder them, to work them deep into your hearts and your lives. You need to be meditating. And the point is this. I say all that. It's all personal and personal meaning. No matter what you do, you need to have a plan when you get into the Bible. You need to have some kind of idea of how you're going to approach the living God to hear from His Word. You need a plan. God speaks today through His Bible. It's His words, it's His message, it's His power. Every word of the Bible is inspired and inerrant. And as Timothy, or Paul said to Timothy, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what the Bible is. And you simply cannot be a mature Christian without hearing God speak through the Bible. You see it again. 
that this, you cannot run well without his instruction. The study of the Bible must be the consuming passion of your life. It must be. So I have to ask you, is that your passion? Is the study of the Bible so that you can know God better, so you can know him more, so you can fellowship with him? Is that your passion? Do you look forward to spending time with God in this world? Or do you look forward to going hanging out or watching Netflix or whatever it is you do? What's your passion? J.C. Ryle wrote a book called Practical Religion. And I want to read you a section from the chapter he called Bible Reading. Highly recommend. I want a J.C. Ryle kick. We a lot of J.C. Ryle. He said this in his chapter. <clears throat> he said, Next to praying, there's nothing so important in practical religion as Bible reading. God has mercifully given us a book which is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. By reading that book, we may learn what to believe, what to be, and what to do, how to live with comfort, how to die in peace. Happy is that man who possesses the Bible. Happier still is he who reads it. And happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it and makes it the rule of his faith and practice. Nevertheless, it's a sorrowful fact that man has a sad ability to abuse God's gifts. His privileges, his power, and abilities are skillfully perverted to other ends than those for which they are bestowed. His speech, his imagination, his intellect, his strength, his time, his influence, his money, instead of being used as instruments for glorifying his maker, are genuinely wasted or employed for his own selfish ends. And just as man naturally makes a bad use of other mercies from God, so he does of the written word. Listen to this. One sweeping charge may be brought against the whole of Christianity, and that charge is the neglect and abuse of the Bible. To prove this charge, we have no need to look elsewhere. The proof lies at our own doors. I have no doubt there are more Bibles in our country at this moment than there ever were since the world began. There's more Bible buying. There's more Bible selling. There's more Bible printing and Bible distributing than ever was since we were a nation. We see Bibles in every bookstore, Bibles in every size and price and style. There's large Bibles, small Bibles, Bibles for the rich, Bibles for the poor, poor. There are Bibles in almost every house in the land. But all this time, I fear we are in danger of forgetting that to have a Bible is one thing, and to read quite another. J.C. Ryle died in 1900. Not much has changed, has it? Not much has changed. The Bible is always most precious to the Christian. Is it precious to you? Or does it sit on your shelf? Does it sit on your shelf and collect dust? The point is this. Get in the Bible daily. Get in the Word daily. The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions. It's for daily use. Reading the Bible takes time. It does. It takes time and it's hard, but it's worth more than gold. So I encourage you to have a plan. And the plan is up to you. You do whatever you want. 
that you should be constantly taking in the scriptures. And likewise, your quiet time should be a time in prayer. Have a plan. So what do we see from Jesus' example? To the time, the place, the plan, we also see the persistence. Persistence. You need to be really committed and stick to it. You need to be persistent. And if you mess up and, and drop the ball and miss your time with God, just start back up again. Be persistent. Keep going. And Jesus was relentless about his time with the Father. Look at his schedule here in Mark 1. It's horrendous. Man's busy. People from all over town are coming to him. His disciples won't leave him alone. He's busy. He was, he was really busy. Can you imagine how late he's been up the night before? Man, he was up most of the night or all night. All those people are coming to him. But as late as he stayed up, he still made time to get out and be with his father first thing in the morning. That is persistence. That is persevering. That is determined. That is diligence. He was diligent. And we need that same commitment and persistence for our time with God. David said in Psalm 5, 3, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And his commitment is just dripping in the words in that verse. It says, you will hear my voice. I will order my prayer to you. And he was eager. He was determined. He was persistent as he rose early in the morning to pray and spend time with God. And before he began, he had to converse with God. He had to converse with him. And that's the commitment that you and I need too. That you're not going to spend time with God each morning unless you are committed to it. Unless you're committed to it. Are you committed to it though? Examine yourself. Are you committed to spending time with God? And the world, the flesh, and the devil are all fighting against you. They're trying to keep you from having that time with God. And I promise you, the last thing the devil wants you to do is to walk with God each day in his word and in prayer. It's the last thing. You do whatever it takes to keep you from it. You're in a war. It's a war. I saw that earlier. But you got to realize that you are in a war. You got to fight the good fight. You must realize that. You must be committed. Uh, set your alarm. Set your calendar. Get an accountability partner. Uh, just do it. And when you fail, and we all will fail, then pick yourself back up and get started again the next day. Be persistent. And keep at it. And so it is the most important habit in your life, which is what it should be, right? It should be the most important habit in your life, standing time with God and in prayer. Now, how do you do this? How do you be pers persistent? Well, first, you make a commitment to start having personal devotions. Just do it. Don't think about doing it. Don't you have a plan. And, you know, just, just do it. Make a commitment tonight. I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Second, start now. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start Monday. And, you know, start, start now. Start right now. There's nothing holding you back. Start now. And third, be prepared for resistance. The devils will come after you. The worlds will come after you. Even your blankets will attack you. Right? Am I right? You try to just wake up 20 minutes earlier. It's hard. Everything will come after you. Be prepared for resistance. Be aware. Be ready. Be persistent. But fourth, make yourself accountable to somebody. Like with many things, 
have somebody to be accountable to. Somebody to pray with you, encourage you, take interest in how you're progressing. Now, let's be that. Don't give up. There may be a day or days when you miss your quiet time. It's going to happen. But don't let that sense of failure cause you to give up totally. Just start over. Start over. If the Lord lets you live another day, then again, if the Lord lets you live another day, then again, where you left off. Keep going. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Don't be discouraged by failures. He will fail at this. Which leads me to my last point. So we see from Jesus' example the time, the place, the plan of persistence. The last thing, the person. The person. Verse 35 says Jesus was praying there. Who was he praying there to? Who's he praying to? The Father, God. It's so important. It's where important doctrine comes into play. Jesus was God, right? Jesus was God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. A biblical Christians believe that God exists eternally as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't come to exist in Bethlehem. He has always existed as God the Son. And God the Father, the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they've always had a relationship with each other. It's the perfect relationship. And God didn't create us to have somebody to love. He created us to share in that perfect unity he had with the Trinity. He wants us to know him, to worship him. But the problem came that we sinned. And sin separates us from the fellowship of the holy, holy, holy God. It separates us. Unforgiven sinners can't know God. They can't go to heaven. They can't fellowship with him. This is why God's son, Jesus, came to earth to die on the cross and pay for our sins. As we saw last year in 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that our sins could be paid for, so that barrier could come down and God could have a relationship with us. And if we repent of our sins and trust our lives to Jesus, like we talked about last week, we can be forgiven and that barrier between us and God will come down and we can know him. We can know him and have a relationship with him. We will have that perfect relationship with him for eternity. It's amazing, right? But here's the thing. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to start that relationship. We start it now. The moment we ask Jesus to be our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we begin to know him. And the way we learn to know him is by spending this time with him every day in his word and in prayer. When we talk to God in prayer and he speaks to us in his word, that is what the daily devotion is supposed to be. It's all about meeting with God, meeting with him. It's not some religious thing that we do. It's not some religious exercise. It's we are spending time with God himself. That's the delight. That's our delight. That's why we do it. Spending time with God. Don't ever lose the focus. That is the person of God that you are meeting with in your devotions. 
You're not doing it just to do it. You're not just reading your Bible. You're not just saying your prayers. You are reading with God. When you say your prayers, you are talking to God. When you're reading his word, you are hearing directly from him. Making sure you keep it about that relationship with him. The person. It's more than a beauty. It's a delight. This is where the delight comes in. Smartphones and social media can be a good thing. It's good to be able to keep in touch with people right here, our state, country, the world. We see what's going on with family and friends. But it's also possible to get so caught up in the phone or the media that we neglect our relationship with people, right? We've all seen couples who are supposed to be out on a date, and all they're doing is just sitting there on the phone, not even looking at each other, forgetting why they were there in the first place. And I think it can be the same way with us and the Lord, too. It's possible to get all caught up in the techniques and plans of Bible study, following the right outline of prayer, the mechanics of daily devotional time, or whatever it may be. It's impossible to get caught up in that and neglect when really we're there for in the first place, to meet with the person of God himself. Every morning, I do my devotions at home. I try to remind myself, I am meeting with God today. I often quote Psalm 85. It says, I will hear what God the Lord will say. I'm here to hear him through his word, and I'm here to talk to him. Don't ever lose that focus. Why are you doing it in the first place? Meeting with God. Do all those things we talked about that Jesus modeled for us. Make sure you have a certain time. Uh, prepare a specific place. Have a plan or a procedure for what are you going to do. Uh, be persistent. Keep at it. But more than anything else, do not forget who you are there to meet with. You are there to meet with God who created you, who saved you. You are meeting with Him. He created you to live forever in Him, but you can begin to meet with Him right now. Every day in your own daily walk with God. Just a foretaste here on earth of what we will enjoy for eternity. By way of conclusion, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may Win. Win. There are billions of things competing for your time, uh, your attention. Many of those things are very good things, but none are more important than relationship with God. I trust that you're involved here in our church. I trust that you are coming Sunday morning and Sunday night. I trust that you're coming to worship God. But I hope that is not a sum of your worship. I hope that is not all you do. I hope that's not the sum of your worship, complete accounting of your speaking to God and hearing from Him. 
God gives you the ability to have a genuine relationship with him. And he invites you to listen as he speaks. And he promises as you speak, he will listen to you. Why? Why would you deny yourself this privilege? If you're going to run to win, you must practice your devotion by spending time in the Word and in prayer. And know this, and please know this, knowing Christ, knowing of Christ won't save you. Bible reading won't save you. And going to church won't save you. Praying won't save you. You must trust in Christ. You, you must be born again in Christ. You must submit to the Lordship of Christ. He must be all or he is nothing. And because of Christ, our lives have been changed and we desire to know him, right? We want to know him. And there's literally nothing more important you can do today and every day than spend meaningful time alone with God. Steward your devotions well. That is your duty and that is your duty. Father, thank you so much for giving us the ability to have your word in our language. First of all, there's so many people who don't have a copy of your word. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Lord, I pray tonight that we have a commitment to spending time with you today. You have saved us. You have given us a new heart. You have made us the enemy to son of our daughter. Lord, please put in our souls tonight to have a strong commitment of meeting with you in your word of prayer. We only have so much time to do this before we meet you face to face. And friend, if you don't know Jesus tonight, I pray you come to him. Come to him and your life will be changed and you'll get to taste the sweetness and delight of spending time with God daily. Lord, this is our prayer. This is the cry of our hearts. We ask this in your servant. Amen.